Well, if you're just joining us or tuning in uh, via online uh, or Northbrook On Demand, just again, my voice is gone because I spoke at a camp last week, and so here we are. Thank you. I, I, I need you on my team. It's more than I got from my wife. So let's, um, let's just take a second quiet our hearts and our minds, releasing whatever it is that we brought in with us today, um, whatever stressors you have, whatever you're thinking about for lunch, let's just quiet ourselves and put us, our soul into a position in which we can receive from him. Amen. So when I was in uh, middle school, my bedroom was full of all these posters on the wall. Most of them I'd won, like at those uh, county carnivals where you took a dart and threw it at a wall of posters and whatever dart you hit, whatever poster your dart hit, that was the one you got to take home with you. It was probably like a 200% markup, but at the time it seemed cool. I had this one on my wall. It was a picture of, of Garfield, the cat. So I'm dating myself now a bit. And in this poster, Garfield was surrounded by luxury cars, and he was wearing big gold chains and a boat and a bunch of other stuff. At the bottom, the caption was, he who dies with the most toys wins. In other words, if you fill your life with stuff, you're the winner. Because that really becomes an obsession. We, we, we like stuff. I mean, I've obsessed over things. When I was um, like 21 years old, I had an obsession with the 1994 Dodge Ram pickup truck. I loved that thing. And I come from a GM family, so I felt dirty even wanting it. But <laughs> such a cool truck, and I, I wanted it. Um, when I was dating Rebecca... In February, my birthday came around. She said, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, I want a 1994 Dodge Ram pickup. And she said, fine. And she bought me one. It was about this big, but (laughs) she bought what I asked for. The life that I thought I really wanted was a life filled with stuff. And not just physical stuff, but I... I wanted to be somebody, wanted to be noticed, celebrated, wanted to be awesome. It really is a desire that so many of us have. So after graduation, uh, 22 years old, I have a degree in ministry, and I get offered a job as a youth pastor at a church in Detroit, Michigan. This church flies Rebecca and I out first class. No joke. They put us up top floor of this incredible hotel. He tells us he's taking us to the Ritz-Carlton for dinner, picks us up in a Cadillac, no joke, and says to my wife, if your husband will take this job, I'm going to give you my credit card and drop you off at the mall and you can buy whatever you want. And we laughed and he said, no, I'm serious. I'm like, wow. 
after the interview was over, he said, I want you guys, uh, I'm going to offer you a starting salary of $40,000 a year, which was a lot for a youth pastor in 1997. I don't know if you know the salary stutters of youth pastors in 1997, but it wasn't that. And we were like, wow, we have arrived. Live close to my family. So that afternoon, uh, my mom comes by and picks us up for lunch and we're telling her all about this amazing opportunity. And this is what my mom said. She said, I would love it if you lived this close to me. She said, but I get real nervous about a church that's that fixated on stuff and money. Oh, mom. (laughs) So we didn't take that job. And instead went to Los Angeles, California and made $5,000 a year. So uh, no Cadillacs there. The life I always wanted was a life I didn't know I wanted. Because the life that I really want is a full life, not just a filled life. Because you can have a life that's filled and still not feel full, abundant, satisfied. So that brings us today to our text, John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus is speaking about the abundant life, about the full life. Now, just before John chapter 10, John chapter 9, Uh, is the story of Jesus healing a blind man on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are irritated again that Jesus is breaking the rules by healing on the Sabbath. And so we come to John chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep will listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life, and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. When the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it, the man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is I lay my life down, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. 
I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. So I begin today with a question. How is it that I perceive God? How is it that you perceive God? Because the way in which you think about and perceive God will determine how you interact with him and express him in the world. Now, Jesus helps us out a bit in the Gospels by making a series of statements about himself in order to help us form an image in our mind of who he is. There are a series of I am statements. In the Gospels, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, which I guess would be hard if you're gluten-free. So we have another one. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. Now, the images of the good shepherd and the gate would have been incredibly well-known metaphors in the days of Jesus. Now, the good shepherd and the gate aren't two separate metaphors. They're actually the same thing, which we'll get to in a moment. These would have been known because Israel, at the time of Jesus, was much more pastoral than agrarian, uh, more sheep than there were like crop farmers. There were lots of sheep in Israel. In the Old Testament, uh, the book of Job tells us that Job owned like 14,000 sheep. In the book of First Kings, King Solomon dedicates the temple, and at that dedication he sacrifices 120,000 sheep. Like, that's a lot of sheep. They're everywhere. Now, when I drive down the road and I see a flock of sheep, it kind of catches my gaze because that's not like something you see all the time. But in Israel, sheep were as common as like mosquitoes, like just everywhere. Now, I was going to originally bring a sheep. Here, I, had, I actually had it all worked out. I was going to bring a sheep on the stage here and I was going to share with you all of my profound knowledge of sheep that I gained from the internet and I was going to tell you all the intricacies of, of, of sheep. But I changed my mind because as I focus more on the passage, the passage isn't about sheep. The passage is about the shepherd. The shepherd's job was a job that was incredibly tiring physically demanding and dangerous. Usually it was given to the youngest of sons. Now, to really understand what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 10, you've got to have a healthy understanding not only of shepherds, but also of sheep pens. Because in Israel, at the time of Jesus, there were two very specific types of sheep pens. The first was a community sheep pen found in a village or a town. So shepherds would be off in the wilderness or in the hills grazing their flocks. And in the evening, they would bring their sheep into the closest town and put them in the community sheep pen, along with all of the other shepherds of the area. All the shepherds would then kind of pitch in, hire a night watchman so they could get some rest. And in the morning, the shepherd would present himself to the keeper of the gate. He'd be identified as a shepherd. The gate would open and he would call his sheep by name, and his sheep, and only his sheep, would follow him. Now, these sheep lived a long time because they were mostly raised for wool, not mutton, 
which I guess is really good news if you're a sheep. But the shepherd would have been with his sheep for a long, long time, and they would know his voice, and they respond to his voice and his voice alone. But if the shepherd were way out in the wilderness, not close enough to a town, there was a second type of pen that they would just make out of rocks and sticks to keep the sheep corralled in, and there would be an opening uh, to this pen, and the shepherd himself would lay in front of the opening, and he himself would become the gate. So when Jesus said, I am the shepherd, and I am the gate, it's not two separate metaphors. He's just speaking of different functions and responsibilities of a shepherd. So in verse 9, when Jesus says, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out, and they will find pasture. That phrase, find pasture, is really important. It's an old Hebrew phrase that actually means a life at peace. So when Jesus spoke these words, most people believe he had Psalm 23 in mind, in which King David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Now, if you know sheep, like I do, because I read on the internet some articles about sheep. What you know is that it takes a lot to get a sheep to lie down. Because sheep are really skittish. And they won't lie down if they feel like there's a predator or their needs aren't met. I read that in some cases, a sheep will die because they stood too long. Like, how stupid do you have to be to die of standing? Like, they died, and they died because they stood too long. I, like, which really, when you think about it, I try to not be offended when I read the Bible, but, like, we're the sheep. Like, we're the, meta- in the metaphor, he's the shepherd, we're the sheep. But that's, I digress, right? I'm just not going to go there today. However, to get a sheep to lie down, there really is three things they need. They, number one, need to be free from the fear of predators, and you feel protected. Secondly, they need to be free from the feeling of hunger. They actually have to be stuffed before they'll lie down. And they have to be free from nagging pests, like bugs. Like there's a a particular bug called a nasal fly that will get into the sheep's nose, and that just sounds terrible, or, or ticks. So they need to be free from these things. Now, a sheep will lie down more often than not, if they sense the presence of the shepherd. Because the shepherd provides protection from predators. The shepherd provides the sheep with all it needs to eat. The, the, the metaphor, the, the, the image that David gives us of, of green pastures, like if you've ever been to Israel, there's not a whole lot of green anything there. It's very desolate and dry and brown. If there's a green pasture, it's because the shepherd made the green pasture provided the sheep with that food. And the shepherd is the one that takes care of all the ticks and the pests and the nasal flies. So Jesus, in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, wants his followers to understand how he feels about you and what he's willing to do for you. So there's three things I want to to pull out of here today. The first is this. Christ, the good shepherd, knows you completely. He calls his sheep by name and he leads them out. 
to be known and wanted and loved, I mean, that really is one of the deepest desires of the human heart. Tim Keller once wrote, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. We want to be known. The, the president of the college that I went to, his name was Dr. H. Maurice Lednicki, which sounds very presidential. This guy was incredible with names. I ran into him at an alumni event 10 years after I graduated, so I hadn't seen him in 10 years, and he still remembered my name and my wife's name. It was incredible that there is something about someone remembering your name, especially when they don't really have the responsibility to remember it. Like, you should probably like know your kids' names, but, I mean, beyond that. Because really, at some level, we want to be fully known. Our name is part of our identity, and we want to be truly loved. Now, of course, sometimes we're known because people want something from us. Like, the phone rings, and it's that person's name again, and you're like, what do they want? Again, I mean, you're not known, you're known, but you're not, you don't feel loved, you feel used. Or maybe worse is to be known, but not wanted at all. Just this last week, I had this experience with someone that I'd known for for a long time and just felt very overlooked and very unwanted. It's a terrible feeling. But Jesus, the good shepherd, he comes and he, he knows you fully, He knows your name, but maybe more important than that, you are wanted and you're loved so much so that he lays his life down. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So not only are we known by our good shepherd, but secondly, Christ the good shepherd chooses to shelter your life. Verse 7, therefore Jesus said again, I tell you, I am the gate of for the sheep. Again, the sheep are in the wilderness. There's no materials to build. A physical gate would be a waste of time because they keep moving. So the shepherd himself becomes the gate. The shepherd becomes the one that shelters the sheep from danger. The promise in this scripture is this. He does promise to shelter you, but he never promised life would be perfect. Because really, a perfect life isn't a full life. We were, exp- we were created to experience the full gamut of life and emotion. So when Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that you may have life and life to the full, he's speaking about an existence that's vital, that's complete, that's beyond the norm and extraordinary, but not free from the hardships that living on this planet can bring. He does desire to shelter us so much so that even when we start to lose our way, he forms a search and rescue party to come and get us. Moving now to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go and look for the one that has wandered off? 
And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. So even if somehow the sheep gets around the gate and wanders off, he's willing to leave the 99 to find the one. The first time I ever had to seek like shelter from actual danger uh, was in my 20s. I was in college in Missouri. And Missouri, uh, is, is, as a state, is, has tornadoes, which is much more common there than where I grew up. I didn't know about tornadoes. I never experienced a tornado. All I knew about tornadoes was they happened in Kansas to little girls named Dorothy. And that was like, that was my extent of tornado knowledge. So when the tornado alarms went off in our dormitory, all I knew was I had to go to the basement because that was the safest level. So everyone went down to the basement. We were all a hot mess because we just got woken out, out of bed and we were down there for hours as this tornado passed by. The basement did not stop the tornado from happening. The basement simply provided shelter in the midst of it. That's the promise of the good shepherd. Because like stuff is going to happen in life. Some days it's going to be good stuff. The sun will be shining. The birds will be singing. The grass will be green. All will be well. Life couldn't be any more perfect. And then there are days that hard stuff is going to happen. And Jesus never promised it wouldn't. Matter of fact, he promised it would happen. And yet he does promise in the midst of it that he would be our shelter. And finally, finally we read John chapter 10 verses 1 through 10 and read that Christ, the good shepherd, chooses to guide our life. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. This is an important part of the story here and it's really important to understand the difference between eastern shepherding practices and western shepherding practices in the western world shepherds would drive their sheep from the back with sheep dogs like that's how they would get their sheep to go where they wanted them to go but in the east where jesus lived there were no sheep dogs and the shepherd did not drive from the back but led from the front his sheep were known by him so intimately and they knew his voice so clearly that all he had to do was start walking and talk and his sheep would follow him. Wherever the shepherd would go, the sheep would go. He would be their guide. The only responsibility the sheep had was the responsibility to cultivate the ability to hear his voice. God is guiding you. God is speaking. God is always speaking. God is always guiding. Our responsibility is to cultivate the ability to hear his voice. I think there are some really simple ways to do that. Challenging, but simple. The first is to take time to meditate on the scriptures. And I don't mean just like open the Bible and read it. There's a very big difference between reading something and meditating on something. There's a very big difference between reading something for content and reading something to hear the message of the author. 
when I pick up the scriptures, I don't want to just read about it, but I want to think deeply about what I'm reading. And those parts that I don't fully understand, I want to investigate thoroughly so that I can understand. And as I'm reading, I'm praying that the author, the Spirit, would guide me as I read. And then secondly, just create some space to just be quiet a little bit. It's very difficult to hear someone speak if you're the one doing all the talking. You ever been with someone and they just won't stop talking? Which I guess it's fine. But if I'm with someone, I'm introverted. So if someone just starts talking, I just let them talk. And I don't interrupt because I just don't want to, I don't feel like dealing with it. Well, the tragedy of that is that person never gets to hear what I might have to say. When we pray, I mean, how how much of our prayers is, is us talking? Probably most of it. I have a decision I need to make uh, concerning a relationship that I have with an individual. It's actually a big decision. Uh, there's a pretty large, kind of painful backstory. I don't want to get into it, but I'm really trying to hear the voice of the shepherd on this one. And I have been listening for months. What do I do about this? Well, I've been doing the reading plan that we have, uh, the one-year reading plan for the New Testament at Northbrook, and I actually got a little bit behind because, well, because I got lazy. I just got a little bit behind. And so I've been kind of catching up. And this morning, I was doing some reading on the reading plan. And I promise you, that, and I, this doesn't happen a lot, but I opened the scripture for today's reading plan. And the answer to my question about the relationship was spelled out more clearly than I can even articulate today. And if you knew the situation, you would go, wow, that was really profound. I got my answer from the shepherd who's constantly guiding me if I pause long enough to listen to what he has to say. So here we are today, gathered together, watching online. We've come with all kinds of life stuff. As you leave this place today, take with you the words of John chapter 10. I'm the good shepherd. And because I'm the good shepherd, I, he, Jesus, he knows you completely and fully. He knows your name, your loved, and your wanted. I, Jesus, am the good shepherd. And while this life may be filled with things that are both good and challenging, they'll continue to come, and I will continue to shelter you. And finally, I, Jesus, the good shepherd, want to be your guide. I will not drive you or force you or push you, but I will simply call your name. I'll start walking, inviting you to follow me. So now, O oh God, we we embrace you, our shepherd. I rejoice that I'm fully known. I thank you for the shelter that you provide and for a voice that's constantly speaking. Help me to pause long enough to listen. Amen.